Hello, this is Catherine Cunningham. Thank you for joining us for the Natural Intelligence Worldwide Podcast. The Climate Action Summit during the UN General Assembly in New York this autumn, 2019, was special in that it was fueled by conversations on intergenerational climate solutions, nature-based climate solutions, and cultural climate solutions from indigenous communities worldwide. This was the key observation of my guest for this week's Natural Intelligence Worldwide podcast, Mr. Alfonso de Alba. Mr. Alfonso de Alba serves as the Special Envoy for the Climate Action Summit, and he was the driving force behind the pre-UN summit discussions, which aimed to voice the concerns, comments, and commitments of the youth, the indigenous, and the environmental groups with greater volume throughout the summit. To this end, Mr. Alfonso de Alba felt that the Climate Action Summit was quite successful. Key outcomes of the meetings included greater attention to inclusivity in driving innovation, technology, and finance toward in-country climate actions, greater financial commitment to both climate mitigation and climate adaptation, which included resilience building for the most vulnerable developing countries and communities, greater attention by the international community to the gravity and urgency of acting on climate, as well in collaboration as everyone's commitment, large or small, now matters. And finally, a greater commitment by Secretary General Guterres to convert commitments to reality, as well to assist countries in reaching even higher aspirational climate goals. Let's hear what Mr. D'Alba has to say about the big wins from the UN Summit this year in New York, and our commitment as a global community forward to rapidly decarbonize our world and to keep our global temperature increase to below 1.5 degrees Celsius. I'm sitting here with Mr. Alfonso de Alba, who is the Special Envoy for Climate Action Summit 2019. Welcome, first of all. Thank you. Thank you very much, Catherine. And I should say we're in this beautiful office overlooking the entire New York arena. And the river. And the river, of course. And so I'm, I'm thinking, uh, you know, one of the main themes that has come up around the climate discussions has been this concept of expanding our vision for what it means to live in this world. What is our, you know, our home resource? Do we understand that we live in an urban environment which is dependent on our natural resources, you know, for food security and for our, our livelihoods? Maybe I'll, I'll just go to my first question to you on the whole concept and value of the nature-based solutions discussion around climate action. Why is this important and what did we learn from this meeting? Well, I, I think it was important, first of all, to fully recognize the relationship between nature and climate change, which is a two-way relationship. Somehow it was around, but it was never put at the center of the agenda, as it was done during the past summit. By highlighting the importance of nature-based solutions, we are hoping that we will get, uh, obviously, uh, much more attention at the level of leaders and much more resources to deal with it. There is a much better understanding on how climate change is negatively affecting nature, but there is also a better understanding on how nature can help us in confronting climate change. So this uh, virtuous relationship is going to produce, I think, many co-benefits, especially for communities that are living in the forest, with people living from the ocean, etc. It's, it's a very rich agenda. Brilliant. Well, in fact, before this summit, it was my understanding that 
the conversation on nature and nature-based solutions or contribution to climate action was only 2% of the conversation, yet I guess if you look at forests, 20% of the potential wind or carbon offset, and then if you look at mangroves, seagrasses, etc., it could contribute essentially 30% to the decarbonization agenda. So what shifted and how is the consciousness sort of evolving within this space and bringing nature more into the conversation? I think because there is a much better understanding of the interrelationship first between the different conventions. This discussion was somehow held only in the framework of the biodiversity convention. Mm. And that, I don't think it was appropriate. I think integrating all the conventions and integrating this convention also with the SDGs, with the Agenda 2030, is something which today is very clear for everybody, has many advantages. Because you can, you can see the connections and you can build synergies. Dealing with an agenda by allowing silos to be built in, in each of these tracks, it, it didn't make any sense. doesn't work. And that's, I think, one of the biggest uh, achievements of the summit because that message was also accompanied by a message that uh, there are different stakeholders mm-hmm. and there are not only governments responsible to bring in these solutions or these ideas uh, the table to be discussed or decided. Civil society needs to be fully involved. Businesses need to be fully involved. Indigenous uh, peoples need to be fully involved. So, so we gain not only by integrating the agenda, the sustainable development, but also by recognizing that it is a multi-stakeholder, public and private effort which is needed. Well, I, I'm so glad that you suggest the importance of partnership, and of course that's the SDG mm-hmm. 17, mm-hmm. and the importance of everyone taking action on climate. I guess to that, I'd love to commend you for also hosting the mm-hmm. very first ever Youth Summit mm-hmm. in alignment with the Climate Action Summit. So perhaps you could speak on that. What is the role of society to helping different country and international efforts, obviously regional efforts and local efforts as well, to really reach mm-hmm. this this very aspirational goal of carbon neutrality by 2050. Mm-hmm. I mean, we really do need everyone. Absolutely, and we need to start by recognizing that the youth movement has helped a lot in getting the attention of leaders, the attention of the public opinion to this effort, and, and that's why we responded with the, with the summit uh, for the youth. We saw the children and the youth uh, on the streets, and, and we wanted not only to respect and to listen to their demands, we wanted them to be part of the solutions. And and the summit, the youth summit on Saturday, allowed them not only to send very clear messages of urgency and and, and to put pressure on all actors, especially governments, but also it allowed them to to come with concrete proposals, things that they are committing to do themselves. They have solutions. Uh, You have many good ideas coming from that summit, which are going to be follow-up and implemented, as well as the proposals that were presented uh, on the summit itself on Monday. I think uh, the focusing on a goal of 1.5 degrees, as it has been requested by the latest IPCC report, has been also a huge achievement of this mm-hmm. summit because people have understood the huge difference that uh, having 1.5 vis-a-vis having 2 degrees will make in terms of the damage uh, to the earth, to the right. citizen. 
And uh, now everybody's aware of that, but they also need to be aware that achieving that goal of 1.5 requires much more, much more than we expected before. Countries may need to multiply what they have committed to do by three, by four, in some cases even by five, to reach to the level necessary to keep that goal. And because of that, we need to be also much more supportive in terms of the assistance that many countries may need in terms of finance and knowledge. We need to support innovation. We need to support uh, new uh, technologies to develop uh, so that uh, eventually it's going to be a collective uh, endeavor. You cannot ask such level of ambition without strengthening international cooperation. Well, I love the focus on personal responsibility. It's mm -hmm. one thing to complain about an issue and to somehow you know, bring attention to urgency and stop there, mm -hmm. but it really seems as if we're in a solutions-oriented mm -hmm. environment. Mm -hmm. And on that note, then, of course, one of the legs of the tripod must be finance. Mm -hmm. So I'm really glad that you bring mm -hmm. the finance dimension up. and. In my conversations and uh, listening to some of the finance discussions, mm -hmm. it seems there's a real narrative evolving for countries to move a bit more aggressively behind, I guess, not just investing 1% of the of their mm -hmm. economy, but up to mm -hmm. 5% and what mm -hmm. that could look like and mm -hmm. how that could be leveraged and stimulate, mm -hmm. you know, further funds to create infrastructure and essentially an environment for then private capital to come in. Mm -hmm. Can you speak to, you know, sort of the, the appetite for investing more and more in, in climate-friendly, not just energy infrastructure, but, you know, maybe even nature-based nature. solutions? Absolutely. I'm absolutely convinced there is an appetite to do that. And, and I, I have seen a number of uh, actors already moving. Uh, you have a, a number of national banks. You have also regional banks, which are already aligning and into that. And I have seen also a movement against the fossil fuel investments, against mm -hmm. the brown economy, against the investments on, on coal, which is going to be also very important because if asset owners and investors in general uh, start moving away from the fossil fuels, we may have more resources to get into the uh, renewables and the greener economy. And the nature-based solutions may also benefit very much of that, the investment, especially on, on forest and uh, land uh, recovery, restoration. restoration. may be very attractive, and especially if we are able to have some kind of blended uh, forms of finance and bring uh, the private sector much more into the picture. We have a number of committed uh, businessmen which were already looking into that. We just need to make sure that uh, the, the risk is taken by public funds and then for the private uh, funds to scale up the investment. I think that uh, it was also very positive to see that there is a movement in some of the most developed countries, not yet all of them, to double their contributions for the Green Climate Fund, and, and in some cases even beyond the Green Climate Fund, uh, commitments to double the overall international cooperation and support for climate. And we are talking about billions of dollars. That was also very positive. I'm still concerned because we have not reached to the commitment that the developed countries made to the developing countries to mobilize at least 100 billion by year by 2020. Numbers today 
of figures today are estimated at uh, around 70 billion. It means that we still need to, to get 30 billion in addition to that by 2020 and certainly continue to increase that amount of money. Because we also need to be very much aware that the commitments are not only to support countries to reduce emissions. The commitments are also important to finance resilience and adaptation. And resources need to be used for that. Since we start negotiations of the Paris Agreement and creation of the Green Fund, Climate Fund, etc., we have established as a goal to use 50% of the resources available for international cooperation for adaptation. Because we are talking about a, a response that it is needed to support those countries which are the least responsible of uh, climate change. And at the same time, they are among the most affected, the, the most vulnerable, whether it is the seeds, whether it is the LDCs, and in some cases, even bigger countries which uh, have levels of poverty and, and suffer very much about uh, the Fabulous. climate change. Uh, so this is a movement which is encouraging. I'm still convinced that we need to move to much higher volumes of resources, but, but the beginning of the process is encouraging. And we will do the follow-up. All the money that has been announced is going to be not only recorded, registered, but it's going to be follow-up to see how soon it gets into the ground. Uh, sometimes it's not only the lack of resources which has impeded uh, action. Sometimes it's access to those resources uh, which is the problem. So mm -hmm. we, we, we also need to, f to mm -hmm. facilitate that, especially for small countries. And so, as well, I can imagine when there's disruption in a system, there's economic opportunity. So mm -hmm. this is good business, meaning good for business to be socially conscious and mm -hmm. to be you know, responding to society's challenges. But at the same time, it's good economic opportunity, mm -hmm. good business. I, you, know, you have a few champions like Anand Mahindra, mm -hmm. who's constantly you know, promoting to his business colleagues with his science-based initiatives mm -hmm. with, within the business community. This is really one of the, the greatest business opportunities of the 21st century. Mm -hmm. And so do you feel that there is this, this sort of enthusiasm and excitement for not mm -hmm. just impact investing to you know, mm -hmm. create social change and do the right thing, which of course is important, but mm -hmm. also that there is opportunity that energy companies as well have, you know, diversified their portfolio and see the shift. Okay. If companies do the right thing and they, they make profit of it, I think it is perfect. I think that uh, making profit and taking advantage of the opportunities has encouraged many to move into the right direction. But what is the most important factor is uh, companies understand that there are also risks of not acting the right way and uh, uh, their investors are increasingly perceiving that risk and, and they need to be aware. There is also important uh, to highlight that those that will take the lead can take the bigger benefits and those that will be lagging behind may, may arrive too late transformations are happening very fast. You can look at the example of uh, renewable energy and how quickly the prices of uh, new panels and windmills has dropped and uh, the opportunities that uh, many companies lost because they were uh, lagging behind and some others took advantage of it. Uh, so the, the first comers uh, will also make the biggest benefits. 
Well, I know that your time is very valuable, mm -hmm. so really thank you for this. So maybe just you know three three highlights from from this week. What are three big wins that you that you're very proud of, um, excited about? Well, I think being able to draw the attention of the international community to the gravity and the urgency to do something was the first one. I think we succeed because we got a number of leaders, governments and others at the same time recognizing that the gravity and urgency and we have the media and the attention. The second is the message that we cannot do it alone one government vis-a-vis -vis another or governments vis-a-vis -vis other stakeholders. This is a collective effort on which there is no minor contribution, even individual contributions are important. And uh, bringing everybody to the same setting in the General Assembly Hall, allowing that interaction to take place between business and government, and not only national but also subnational, etc. The participation of the indigenous representative, uh, which uh, for me is particularly important, the indigenous peoples organize a pre-summit event before the summit, and uh, they develop a, a package uh, of initiatives. They have a special understanding and relationship with, with, it, with nature, with the, with the land, with the species, and uh, getting that knowledge transmitted uh, to others and, and, and committing themselves to do a number of concrete uh, actions was also very encouraging. So seeing this inclusive, inclusive uh, format was very important. And the third element would be, I think, the commitment of the Secretary General to continue to lead, to continue to actively put pressure on countries, on different actors to deliver, to, mm -hmm. to make reality all those uh, proposals, to, mm -hmm. to see it uh, really implemented, and to continue to, through a number of meetings and opportunities that he will have uh, along the year, to come to the COP uh, next year in, in Europe with a very solid package of commitment that will put the international community back on track to what we need to achieve the goal of 1.5. It's a big challenge, but we can do it. We can do it. And mm -hmm. also, in the nature-based narrative, mm -hmm. to preserve 30%, actually 50% yeah. of the natural wildlands, 30% mm -hmm. uh, for nature-based solutions, and then another 20% right for... Yeah. And then don't forget that next year we will have the Biodiversity right. Cup, and we will have also the uh, Cup on, on Ocean, the conference, no? World Conference on yeah. Oceans. To me, I feel there was a real sea change shift when we started to talk about ocean plastics and mm -hmm. people understood the connection between mm -hmm. planetary health and one's personal health. Mm -hmm. Even myself, you know, just yeah. to know that with microplastics, basically the, the ocean is, is, is filled with mm -hmm. these synthetic yeah. uh, hydrocarbons. To look at those islands with plastic is a shocking image. It's incredible. Yeah. And so how can we advance that narrative such that people really do realize that every action mm -hmm. matters and every food choice, purchase choice, makes a difference? Yeah, I think people realize very much the danger of uh, the use of plastic. And that's the only way you can understand that uh, it was possible to prohibit the single plastic use so quickly in so many countries and how well the population has taken that measure. I have seen that in different countries 
they feel very proud, the, the governments are moving into that. That shows you the, the level of concern that uh, many people have about the environment. And uh, what we need is to make sure that people look into the benefits, not only to make them feel responsible if they pollute, but to make them aware of the benefits, if the quality of the air, if the health of the ocean and the health of the forest is restored. They need to understand that uh, those efforts may imply an effort uh, on their part, uh, but it will pay back uh, with uh, huge benefits. Uh, having a cleaner air, having less radical natural disasters, uh, less frequent, uh, avoiding the rise in the level of the sea, all those benefits, restoring land, etc. It's, it's for the people, it's not for the economy. It's for well. the daily life of people. This is it. It's mm-hmm. the human nature connection. If we mm-hmm. can create this, mm-hmm. recreate this connection and help people feel as if they're heroes mm-hmm. designing forward a better future. That's don't you really look don't you look forward to a place on which you can walk and you can use public transportation and hopefully that transportation is going to be electric and not uh, pollutant and uh, and you will be able uh, breathe and see the sky. I love your vision of this world that you can breathe clean air and mm-hmm. eat good food and be confident that the water your children are drinking is mm-hmm. is clean. It shouldn't be a luxe. It should be the normal. And, uh, and the normal will go back once we take care of, uh, of nature, once we take care of uh, the way we produce and we consume because we have abuse of uh, that. Sending so many CO2 gases into the atmosphere has been something which we never realized how dangerous and how bad it was going to be. And in any case, uh, probably we didn't have much choice. But today we do. Today we know. And today it would be extremely responsible to continue to do that. Brilliant. Well, I'm so glad mm-hmm. that someone like you is in your position to be able to lead mm-hmm. such efforts. Thank you for your work. A pleasure. A pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for listening to our Natural Intelligence Worldwide podcast. You can find us at naturalintelligence.com forward slash worldwide. Have a beautiful day.